and lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Greetings. Welcome to Lit with Lloyd. I am your host, Lloyd Russell. Uh, I want to give a shout out to KCAT for uh, sponsoring our show. Uh, and my guest today uh, is going to be a real treat for all of us. Uh, Melissa Maglio is our very first librarian. And there are so many questions I have to find out what happens behind the scenes in a library that I doubt I'll get them all in today, but uh, we'll give it a go. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for being here. Sure. Thanks for uh, <laughs> inviting me in. Uh, so I, I want to start with a little bit of background, and then I want to get into some meat. Uh, what what prompted you to become a librarian? Um, to be honest, I needed a job. <laughs> I needed a job. So when I moved to the Silicon Valley, um, I needed a job. So I was 20, and I went into a library just to um, see what you know what I could find and they had a job board and they had openings so I applied and I became a page and that was it I decided I loved it and I just started working my way up the chain so and what um, what um, cities or towns have you worked for in the libraries um, so I started for San Jose and then when I actually became a librarian got my master's degree um, my first librarian job was actually with the town of Los Gatos. Um, so I really do owe them a lot for helping me really start my actual professional career. So um, as things worked out though, I lived in San Jose, so I moved back to San Jose yeah. and now I'm serving the community that I'm, that I'm uh, living in now. And how many years have you been a librarian? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> my total library career is about 23 years, but I became a professional librarian with Los Gatos in 2010. And so that's 13 years now. Wow. Yeah. Well, I can tell our listeners and viewers that uh, when you ran the book club uh, at, in Los Gatos, mm. uh, and I was a member of it, I could not wait each month uh, for the next meeting because it was so much fun. You did a great job uh, of giving us the right questions to ask uh, and um, I, I was I really missed you when you left oh. and then shortly thereafter I left <laughs> you, you don't go anymore no I haven't gone in years but it's not it's not a reflection on who replaced you it's yeah. just that it wasn't you it's not the same yeah <laughs> no. I get that so much fun uh, are there book clubs like that uh, in uh, in San Jose oh I'm sure um, I know our library system, we have multiple book clubs really? happening different days of the week, different times. Um, I still host a book club because I just, I love it. Uh -huh. I love it. But the thing is, um, mine's very specific in terms of what we focus on. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm doing a self-improvement, self-help focused book club wow. for the last uh, seven years. Wow. Um, and um, the books vary. Um, lately, we've actually incorporated some of those like TED Talks into it. Yeah. For those months that we just can't seem to get through a book, we, we go that route. So. Okay. So, uh, we all know libraries, 
but we know front of the house. Uh, tell us how a library works. <laughs> oh. I mean, you're, you, you recently got promoted to senior librarian. Right. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Uh, and I think you said that you are a, a manager for two of the branches. Right. Uh, what do you do? How, how do you oversee it? What are the different aspects and elements of running a library? Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, it really depends on where you're at. Like the town of Los Gatos is very different from how a big city like San Jose with 25 branches wow. works, right? So um, for me, most of my activity has to do with supporting the librarians doing their jobs. Okay. Um, and then being that intermediary between administration, um, trying to figure out what the initiatives are that we're trying to follow, and then bringing those down to the librarians to get the work done. So I'm kind of in the middle now, um, but I still get to be a librarian, right? So um, last week I actually went out to do summer outreach at one of the grade schools. Because oh. um, one of the things that we do um, with funding from the state of California is we do what's called summer lunch. So this year it has become us going out to the grade schools and you know middle school high schools that do summer lunch which they're literally giving students lunch the students who end up starving during the summer because they're dependent on lunch during school oh wow right so we this year go out to the schools and we pass out um um i, I don't know if you know what they're called steam kits so they are like bags full of science crafts for them to do at home uh -huh. to learn a little bit about science and put together like different type of craft objects. And we also hand out a whole bunch of free books. Oh, wow. So we've been doing uh, summer lunch outreach this year. Before the pandemic, we were actually serving lunch every day, Monday through Friday in the library. Wow to support those students that needed the food. So yeah. um, a little switch this year from doing that. Um, but yeah, I still get to be a librarian. Um, I still host the book club, like I was telling you. <laughs> and then I fill in when I have, you know, staff shortages, someone needs vacation, someone gets sick. So I'm still doing story times. Those were, those are definitely the the pillar of what libraries do we really service to those zero to five age groups uh -huh. and the parents and the families that's always i feel like what libraries at least public libraries will be focusing on so and that's year round i take and that it. is year round wow absolutely yes so um and that's just some of what is happening at the libraries tell, tell us so more much. you want to know more okay <laughs> we definitely want to know what kind of activities before you give me that, can you do a quick org chart for the San Jose Library? I mean, is is there a head librarian and then just different levels below? Yeah, exactly right. So it's funny because when you look at Los Gatos, right, um, the whole staff, including the library director, is like, had to be like 15, 20 people for your little, your town library. And they're doing amazing things over there with that amount of staff, um, right? So they just have a director and then their um, 
their manager and then the librarians. Um, and it, so San Jose is very similar except larger scale. So we have um, a library director and under her we have um, two assistant directors and under them we have um, more administration that oversees like my position so uh -huh. I have a boss so I have a boss a boss and a boss <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of there's just it's still hierarchies there's just more levels yeah right? so yeah. it's very similar to Los Gatos only we just have more levels got it yeah uh, okay so you do a lot of different programs for the zero to five uh, what do you do for the middle school and the high school and the adults and the seniors? Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So public libraries, we try to serve everybody, all ages. Um, and it can be difficult if you're small, so you really have to figure out where the most impact is gonna be. Uh, for my two branches, we kind of look at who are who our communities are and we go from there so for for um one of them we don't get a lot of um, that middle grade we get a lot of teenagers because uh -huh. where we're located is on the campus of independence high school ah okay right so we're we're serving like 200 plus teenagers every day after school very similar to uh, los gatos library right after school i remember when i worked there los gatos high school got out and they all came over to the library to hang out very similar to where i'm at now so um, some of the programs that we host, we do a lot of um, volunteer opportunities because the teenagers, a lot of them, that's what they're in need of uh. is ways to volunteer to enhance their, their um, scholarships, their college applications. Um, I'm finding, because that library is on the east side of San Jose, I'm finding that a lot of the schools aren't requiring community service anymore. Huh. So a lot of my teens that come in that want service hours, they're actually from some of the charter schools. They're some from some of the private schools because uh -huh. they're still asking teenagers to do, you know, community service. Um, so we try to host opportunities for that. We have a, a program called Teens Reach. Um, it's a monthly meeting where teens come in and, um, we put them in leadership roles. They'll host their own meetings. Um, they will come up with program ideas. They then host the programs for our communities. So for example, right now a big thing is coding. So we have a lot of high schoolers who wanna come in and teach um, grade schoolers you know, the basics of coding uh -huh. and how to make video games and, and how to make apps and so stuff like that wow. and that's like a big thing right now um i was actually just talking to one of my librarians who's going to be hosting a five day um in person mit app program that a volunteer is going to be doing um so things like that a lot of coding going on um trying to think a lot of crafting programs what we're finding too is um as we do outreach and we talk to our communities, a lot of them are wanting us to provide events to bring the community together. They want spaces that are safe that they can get to know uh -huh. their neighborhoods. So we're doing a lot of what we call cultural enrichment programs. So a lot of it is um, 
um, craft programs. Um, at my other library, at Seven Trees, my librarian is putting together a stories and s'mores program <laughs> and so she is inviting the grade schoolers and the families to come in they're going to make s'mores they're going to sit around and they're going to tell scary stories <laughs> kind of like a summer campy kind of theme like that um, and just provide this atmosphere for people to just enjoy being in the library being with each other stuff like that wow yeah that's really really cool right um does the administration do they are people responsible for coming up with these programs i mean how how does it, how do those programs even get developed right so um we do have guidelines especially we are really focused on education initiatives um we want to be intentional about the programs that we offer making sure that they're providing value in terms of teaching people life skills things like that mm -hmm. so we follow those kind of guidelines and from there we kind of see like what creative um, ideas can we come up with to meet those initiatives so um, most of it is just librarians just coming up with like hey this would be a great idea and it also helps as I'm learning as I'm supervising learning to be a supervisor is that if you can get way more engagement from your staff if it's something they're really passionate uh -huh. about yeah it's like I don't have to do anything other than advise they're off and running oh, and so great. I've been blessed because I have some staff that are just phenomenal in terms of coming up with these amazing ideas um, this morning um, my at my other library we serve um, every week a large population of, of people with uh, developmental disabilities special needs we have a group that comes in every Tuesday. It's like 30 or 40 of them. And so we have this program called the Insiders Program. And so my librarian just she keeps coming up with these amazing um, programs for them. Oh, so wow. this morning she had them come in and she taught them a little bit about environmentalism. She did a quick little like book read discussion on a lady who went to San Diego and learned to, how to plant all these native plants in order to really populate the area that was really desolate with beautiful trees that weren't invasive. And so she talked to this insiders group about this, shared the story, and then she had this like um, craft, super simple, super simple. Basically, you know, you can take a pen You've probably seen these at stores where they don't want you to walk off with their pen, so they like <laughs> tape something to the end of the pen to make it obvious that you're holding their pen. <laughs> so she had them take pens and wrap flowers on them, and she's like, not everyone likes flowers. So then she brought in like fake leaves or something to make it um, look like some of the discussion she was talking about uh -huh. from the, the botanist who... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she just comes up with these great ideas, and that it's is, just like... wow. I don't know. Some librarians are just naturally creative. I think that's great. Yeah. All right. I got more for you. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Melissa Maglio.
thank you to the City of Montessorino for their continued support of KCAT Public Media. The City of Montessorino has enabled KCAT to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38 years. Thank you. And welcome back to Live with Lloyd. Uh, let's get back into the, uh, the library uh, uh, descriptions and back of the house and all that stuff with Melissa Maglio. Okay, uh, you've talked about some programs for different age kids. Do you have programs for adults and seniors as well? We do, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of what our focus is right now is helping adults who are in need of support in like digital literacy, mm -hmm. um, adults who need support in, in reading even. We have an entire department um, focused on helping adult learners um, learn to read, which you can probably imagine can be a very um, embarrassing, um, difficult thing to take to a stranger and say hey I can't read and I'm mm. like 45 years old uh -huh. you know so we take very seriously a lot of the services that we have for our adults um, and like I said I I host book clubs so we have multiple book clubs um, adults seem to like that I'd say one of our largest um, adults program avenues right now is Silicon Valley Reads. Uh -huh. um, Los Nor Gatos well. participates, yep, you know yep, about yep. it. Yep. So for those who don't, it's it's a Silicon Valley wide um, um, month. To, it's, it's like February or April to like the end of May or something. And all of these libraries in Silicon Valley come together and they all pick a theme and they all read the same book mm -hmm. and they host programs around the theme and around the book. Yep. Um, and when I started libraries in 2000, that program had kind of just started out. And it's been interesting to see the migration of that program because really it was geared to adult readers, adults attending programs. And at the time it was like they picked one book only Right. I remember they picked like Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 one year or they picked um, what was that book? It was The Circuit. Mm. What was about an immigrant, a, a young immigrant boy who shared his story about going through the school systems classic book Jimenez I think is the author okay but but that was back in like 2000 anyways but they would pick one book only so now 2023 it's like we have like three different mm -hmm. books we now have a whole thing for children uh -huh. yep um and it's so it's bloomed and grown into this really amazing um um you know um, literature program mostly for adults but you know they've incorporated kids so there's just a lot of different things going on for adults right now in the libraries yeah. uh, and, and when uh, Silicon Valley where uh, Silicon Valley Reads is going don't the authors all, all actually also come to the uh, different libraries and give talks and things exactly right so one of the things was the books they picked they were trying to make sure it came from local authors 
at that time especially so like the circuit was actually a like a professor here at like Santa Clara University or something like that so they were trying to pick books by authors well-known authors from the area and so today they do they try to get the authors to come and do you know book discussions yeah. and such yeah uh, I, I want to get back to the to the reading thing because that just is so critical yeah uh, how how do you guys actually help people learn to read? What kind of of programs do you have? Exactly. So I don't have a big hand in that. I just know about the uh -huh. program in case uh -huh. we run across people in our communities that we think could benefit. Um, our program is called PAR, which is called Partners in Reading. Uh huh. And it is based on the use of volunteers. So we have a paid staff that coordinates the program. They host um, trainings for these volunteers to teach people how to read. And so from my understanding is they will pair up the volunteer with adults who have come to the library saying, hey, I need some help learning. And so they will pair those people up together and they will work through whatever curriculum they have set oh, to wow. really support the learning of this adult you know who's trying to learn to read wow that's fantastic yeah it's a great program uh, have audiobooks helped with that uh, because obviously you ha you do have audiobooks in every uh, every uh, branch correct we sure do uh, I mean we know a lot of people that listen to audiobooks that can read but they can be doing other things while they're listening to an audiobook. You know, a lot of people that are doing some walking or, yeah. you know, or, or even do works, work from home that doesn't require a lot of thought. Uh, it seems like people that can't read could listen to audiobooks, and then that, that is reading. And anybody that tells me it's not reading uh, is going to have to answer to me because <laughs> listening to an audiobook is the same as reading a book, whether it's a digital or a paper. So uh, have you seen like a big upswing in, in audio rental, audiobook rentals? I'm seeing less, but in respect to adult learners, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm seeing less in terms of people checking out the physical audiobook uh -huh. because digital has now taken over the ease of which you can access something. So I am seeing less checkouts of our audiobooks, but I'm certainly, I'm, I'm gonna guess that the downloading of our audiobooks is probably pretty high. Okay. Yeah. In terms of adults learning to read, well, I don't know because I'm not part of that program, uh -huh. but I can imagine that probably comes into play as they're trying to learn, right? So um, yeah, that's, a, that's actually an interesting question. Uh, I love audiobooks. Uh, you know, uh, uh, my my wife and I uh, used to listen to a lot of audiobooks before COVID because we were tr meeting friends an hour away, and and we listened to some fabulous books. Uh, we don't really have much of an opportunity to do it now, but we would mm -hmm. if it uh, if we took up a lot of driving again. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's just such a fantastic thing, and of course. Mm -hmm. You know the the ebooks are also great. Um, you know I'll take paper anytime, but I know a lot of people don't even bother with paper books anymore. Yeah. Which leads me to my next question: 
uh, I'm trying to word it. Do you have more paper books, less print, I should say print books, than you've had in the past? Is it just the same? And how do you get, how do you decide what titles to bring into the library? How does all that work? I know that's a big question with a lot of uh, a lot of possible uh, explanations. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So just like programs, uh, it really depends on your library, right? So how Los Gatos works, being a single library versus San Jose, is very different. So I can tell you from working in Los Gatos, um, I was the selector purchaser, worked with the vendors um, for the entire adult collections. Wow. Um, um, mostly the nonfiction collection now that I think about it because that that would be quite a bit um, but at that time we're talking at least seven eight years ago um, I was still using paper catalogs and going through and looking at book reviews you know checking off what looked good what doesn't <laughs> and part of it is knowing your community knowing what they're gonna want um, Obviously, we, we definitely get all the bestsellers in all of the formats. Uh-huh. That's not going to change. <laughs> um, but every year, the budget changes too, right? So uh-huh. you have to make these decisions about how much money to allocate. Oh, wow. So it's constantly changing. And you're dealing with vendors who are also struggling. They got to figure out how to make money. Um, so the decisions vary depending on what kind of format you buy how much you buy um, what is being used and what's not being used so you have to really keep an eye on circulation statistics things like that so that you know where the best place to put the money into the collections is right wow. and then since i was doing nonfiction, you also have those collections you have to keep an eye on like the medical books right you have to keep that stuff up to date those are not cheap books <laughs> So that's when you see you start turning more towards the digital realm because it's a lot cheaper yeah. and easier to stay up to date when it's a digital format. So, Are there books that at some point you get rid of? I mean, do you, I guess you still have records of who's taking what book out, even though they're doing it themselves. Um, are, does somebody look at, at, uh, at the numbers and say these books haven't been checked out in five years and we're going to get rid of them? Exactly right. Wow. Yep. yep. I would love to say that we have a secret basement downstairs and we, <laughs> when we run out of room, we just shove it down there and it's, you know, you can request it in the catalog and we run down and we get it for you. But that would be lovely, but it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. So we do start relying on digital copies as we run out of room. Um, and circulation statistics play a huge role in some of the decisions that we make right so um that and just the overall um health of the collection is it tore up is it Uh um, you know is it missing sometimes things go missing there's so much we don't know so we're constantly running you know lists every month to see if something is actually still there because it hasn't circulated in a a year or two is it even on the shelf anymore that kind of thing so there's a lot that goes into making those decisions on your collections do you i assume that every library you can check out books for a certain amount of weeks Mm -hmm. Uh, and if books are late do you guys charge a fee um yes however um, one of the things we're really adamant about is making sure people have access. So we don't want 
library finds to be a barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we can help it. Yeah. Um, but we also know that people need, you know, rules to stay honest, you know, keep honest people honest. And not to so, take advantage. Right. So one of the things that we have is we, we call it a, um, we have book replacement um, programs. We have fine reduction programs. So we have all these different avenues that we can use to support patrons who, who may have accidentally forgot they even had a book and they return it. Um, they can volunteer away their fines. Um, they can buy us a new book to replace the one they oh, wow. have misplaced. Um, but the one thing that has happened in the last couple of years is uh, we've done away with fines on children's items. Ah. Um, because we feel like those are the users, the parents especially, um, our biggest circulating collections are our picture books and our, our, you know, our books for the younger readers. Um, and so, and if you're a parent, you probably remember when you were a parent, <laughs> how hard it is to keep track of things, right? When you have a toddler, when you have multiple kids. Um, and so, doing away with some of the fines for that I, I see it in the parents faces when they come and go you know I got all these fines I got all these late books and we check them in and we're like your fines are zero and they're like what oh, like they're wow. so like relieved and it's it's like those kind of decisions that we can make to support the use of the libraries it's just it's great so we tried this year to um, go fines free for the whole system, but it just didn't work out. But um, it's always something in the back of our minds. Uh, do you have Do you have somebody that got a giant fine and refused to pay? <laughs> oh, all the time. Sure. Yeah. Why not? You right? don't You don't do anything legally to make them pay, do you? No. I mean, every system has their process to work with those people who may be struggling a little more than others, you know. So we, we have ways to really work with them. We get them every now and then, you know. Every Everybody <laughs> has something. Uh, but I would imagine, though, if you if you have somebody that's taken out a popular book you know one of the one of the latest books and they haven't returned it do you order another one How, what do you do in a situation like that we watch the wait list grow <laughs> <laughs> eventually what happens i believe is our selectors take a look at how many copies we have on hand and okay. they'll try to replenish if it makes sense in the budget and it makes sense in the in the uh, uh wait list and the uh, desire of the community to want the item they'll make that decision okay yeah. um I can tell you the biggest thing right now, um, we loan out Chromebooks, we loan out Wi-Fi hotspot devices, mm. and those items um, are super popular. The wait list like for the Wi-Fi hotspots are enormous. Oh, wow. Um, and so the other downside to that is if they lose one of those items, um, then we come up with creative ways to work with them mostly so um so it's great that we can offer all these services and these resources but you also have to consider how to make sure things are coming back to us so yeah, other people yeah. can use them yeah yeah well one of the things i've always enjoyed about the los gatos library is that if there is a like an audio book that you that they didn't have uh they would let us get it they would buy it 
and have it sent to us, and then we would just return it for them to put on the shelves. Do you have anything like that? Isn't that great? That, that is the thing probably I miss the most about going from a small town library to uh-huh. a very large one. Things don't work quite like that. <laughs> it's so nice. I remember starting for Los Gatos, coming from San Jose, and at that time, my manager, a patron asked for a book. We didn't have one. He ran down to the bookstore on Main Street, (laughs) bought the book, came back. He did the processing in like 10 minutes and handed the book to the patron to check out. Oh, my gosh. I was like, what? That's nuts. Right? The small town libraries, they're amazing. The flexibility, the things they can do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, any big organization uh, is going to have trouble doing the, what the little guys can do. Exactly right. Um, I've been inside the Martin Luther King Library, uh, right? That's part of the San Jose That's Library. That's our main branch. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's enormous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is is are there any other branches that even closely approximate? Excuse me. That size. Uh, nope, that's the, that's the mothership. Um, it was interesting because that was actually, so I started in 2000. 2002, the, it was a joint project with the university, right? So they were like married in many, many ways, like staff and collections and everything. They were a joint venture in offering library service to university students and to the public. Um, over the years, they've kind of um, found their own paths, but they're still sharing that building. And so that's one of the reasons it's so large is because you're hosting like two different types of collections, right? University collections can look very different from a public library wow. collection, right? So, um, and the needs of students can be very different from the needs of the public. So you have to have enough space and that building is beautiful. It sure and it is. really houses a lot of stuff. Well, uh, I was wrong when I introduced you and said that, uh, you know, that there were a lot of things that, that it was, were going to be interesting because it's way more than I even thought. I have so many other questions that I want to ask you that we don't have time for. Mm-hmm. That was fascinating. Good. So I really appreciate you being here. Uh, and I think that our, our viewers and listeners are going to really enjoy uh, all the things you've told us. I hope they uh, go online to their library websites and check out all the cool things that there's going on there, events, resources. It's amazing what's going on in your libraries. Great. Okay. Well, uh, you you all heard it uh, uh, from Melissa, so uh, make sure that you do that uh, and uh, get a better sense of what the the local libraries do. Uh, Okay. That closes the book on today's podcast. Uh, I want to thank uh, KCAD again for uh, hosting our show. Uh, I want to thank Melissa for a fascinating interview. Uh, And um, if you want to see other podcasts, uh, you can go on lloyd.show forward slash YouTube and see some of the the previous interviews. Uh, So that'll do it for us. uh, And we'll see you next time. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio.